Welcome to Creative on Purpose Live. This show helps you lean into endeavors that matter by leveraging your curiosity, engaging your courage, and cultivating your creativity. Are you ready to make a difference? This show helps you step into your what's next with integrity and intention. It's time to be creative on purpose. This season is called Local Focus, and my guests are artists and creative entrepreneurs from in and around my hometown of Floyd, Virginia. These are friends and neighbors carving out a living in rural America with passion and purpose. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Endeavor, and you can learn more about me and my work at BeCreativeOnPurpose.com. Let's meet today's guest. Colleen Redmond, welcome to the broadcast. Please tell our viewers who you are, what you're up to these days, and where we can connect with you to learn more. I'm Colleen Redmond. I'm a local writer, blogger, poet. I work part-time covering stories by contract to the, for the Floyd Press. And I'm a grandmother. And I recently had a book of poetry published, Packing a Suitcase for the Afterlife. And also, I'm sometimes a featured reader at the Little River Poetry Festival, which I do want to put a word out for. It happens every June, happening this year, I think June 15th and 16th, right here in Floyd, on the water. And, uh, You can get the book at uh, on Amazon. Fantastic. So that's your most recent collection of poetry. Is that correct? Yes. And I love the, the title, Packing a Suitcase for the Afterlife. So it, give us a sense. Is there, is there a, a theme to the poetry or is there a, a, a common thread that, that's woven throughout the, the poetry? Tell us a little bit about that. This, this was the first book that I actually was published by a, by a small press. So that was exciting. I have other books that were self-published. This is, I think of it as a, a poetic memoir, but it's bringing life down to an essence as poetry can do, like dreams, you know, it's a shorthand of language. And really the questions behind it were things like, how do you bring your life down to an essence? What do you want to bring with you and what can you let go of? Mm. And, you know, is the soul the one carry-on we get to take with us? And what does that mean? Those were the questions. That is fantastic. So go ahead and give us all the punchlines. The punchline? <laughs> is, is the soul what we get to take with us? Oh, well, there are a couple of poems in there about literal suitcases. Oh, fantastic. Um, it really chronicles a little bit of childhood and caregiving with my mother, losing a loved one. There's quite a few poems in there about loss. And some of them come straight from dreams. Oh, wow. And I think in that way, I basically would say it's about the inner life. And to me, that's universal and not much talked about. Fantastic. Well, I love your poetry and I love this this idea that of the collection that you have. And you, for as long as I've known you, which has got to be almost 15 or 20 years now, I have known you to be one of the local luminary writers of Floyd, Virginia. 
when when did your journey as a as a writer begin? And congratulations, by the way, on getting published. Yeah, that was fun. That was exciting. Um, you know, I didn't really get turned on to poetry in high school. It was really the the music of my generation that spoke to me. I can actually remember a moment. I was working in a boutique in Boston on Tremont Street, very hip boutique, back in the late 60s. And I heard Leonard Cohen's Dan <clears throat> on the radio and thought, I want to be a poet. But I was already writing poetry, like up in my bedroom and reading it to my sister. And that had started being inspired by Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell and those kind of singer-songwriters. Interesting. But you've also written prose, is that right? Yes, I do. Um, I think that came a little later. I think I learned my craft through writing poetry. You know, how you have an opening line that will grab you, a title is like a headline, and then you have to have substance, and the sound has to be as good as the meaning. I mean, you have to put it all together. It's kind of like a mathematics. You have to have a summary in some way. So that's kind of what prose writing is, too. I think I, I, I come from an Irish Catholic background, and I think I have a lot of writers in my family. And I think I didn't have a, like a, liter, a literary kind of family, but there was a lot of um, nursery rhymes and songs from the 40s and things like that, that jump rope songs. Mm -hmm. You know, I had an ear for. Nice. You mentioned craft, and I'm just wondering how how did you cultivate your craft as a writer? How did you how did you develop that that muscle of writing poetry? Which you know, it 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 it, it looks um, simple, but simple is never easy. And I know from taking a stab at it a few times myself that, um, as you said, it's it's a matter of s getting down to the essential and distillation. And it is really hard for many of us to boil something down to the essential qualities and convey it in a way that's persuasive and that makes sense. So how did, how did that journey unfold for you in terms of cultivating your craft? That's a great question. And it's hard for me too. I think that when I've heard before something like when you're doing what you're meant to do, you often don't know what it is. Mm. Often when I write poetry, I don't think I'm ever going to write it. I just don't know how I did it. I don't know where it comes from. But I also uh, call myself a poet because I like the poetic license that that word gives me and explains a lot about me. But also, I can't think of anything anybody would spend hours fiddling with words if that wasn't who they were and what they were meant to do. Mm. So I think I just, I can look back at the early poetry and see the seed of what I write today, but it just had to develop over time and I just had to plug away. And why did I plug away? Nobody was paying me to, <laughs> I don't know. So that's why I say I must be a poet. So I plug away and I really would say to people that whatever you do that you plug away at, eventually comes to some fruition, even if it takes 30 years. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Like yeah. Well, I know that for me, writing is something that I've only, well, I've, I've taken stabs at it off and on throughout my adult life. But for the past three years, I've been blogging weekly. 
and have published a couple of books myself. And um, for the, to me, a, a, an important part of it is the establishment of a, of a practice of a daily habit of putting words to paper or, or you know, typing um, for a given amount of time, um, you know, every, every, every day. Is that, do you, is, is it a daily practice for you? Do you have a, a kind of a, a standard uh, way that you approach the habit of writing? I'm pretty much anti-practice. You know, I, I've read, um, oh, I can't remember her name now, Writing Down the Bones. I, I, yeah, yeah. All that. I tried all that as I was going through this. To, uh, it takes a while to really discover how you do it, what works best for you. I just have the intention that I want to write, and I don't, I just feel uncomfortable when I'm not. So what I do is sometimes when I'm not writing and I'm feeling uncomfortable, I actually start with what it feels like to be uncomfortable and not be writing, you know, and sometimes that will come out to be a poem I like and other times not, but it leads to something else. I often call it taking my psychic blood pressure. <laughs> and I've also used poetry as therapy, you know, when something is, I often don't find out how I feel until I sit down and try to write. I love that. Um, writing is poetry. And uh, I'll, I'll just toss out another idea to, to ask if it's part of, of your practice. So um, I find myself most often writing about concepts or ideas that I've recently collided with or, or a new way of thinking about things that I've recently kind of come up with while I was having a run or just, you know, uh, as I was falling asleep the night before. And the writing for me is the process of trying to teach myself what I don't yet fully understand or to write it for somebody else because it's through that act of teaching others that I'm able to see what I don't yet clearly see and what I do clearly understand. Is that part of, part of it for you? Always has been. It's a way to synthesize what I'm learning at the time. And also my early writing came from being separated from my family. I'm the only one that doesn't live in Massachusetts. And I wrote a lot of letters back then when people wrote letters. And a lot of that was, you know, the germination of writing came from letters and organic things that I was interested in. You know, like I, I helped a friend start a cesarean prevention newsletter. You know, it was always related to something in my life. But one of the things I would say about writing and practice is one of the things I've learned that helps me the most is to always yield to the muse. When, the, when I hear something that I think of as the muse, it has a different voice of authority than my regular thinking. Mm. And I have to go write it down. Even if I don't know what it means yet, it seems like silly, write it down because the, the purity is the first time it comes through. Yeah. Through with that muse voice. And later, if you try to craft it, it's not quite the same. Although you do have to use some crafting, but. Of course, of course. Well, so. That initial voice. Are you familiar with um, the Elizabeth Gilbert TED Talk about genius and where inspiration comes from? I've read her book, the one on going to Italy, but no, I'm not familiar with that. 
So she and and Stephen Pressfield talks about this in a in a very similar way in the War of Art. But the idea that genius is not something inherent in us it's something that kind of happens through us and that these inspiration the muse the ideas are out there and the when the muse decides that she's got an idea that's good for you she'll present it to you but if you're not there present to to grab it then she will very quickly go find somebody else (laughs) believe that yeah yeah i i i really do too I just, uh, so part of my, my daily practice is, I mean, I, I write pretty much all morning. Um, I take a break and go uh, to the cemetery every day for a walk or a run or a combination. Today, um, this was the page of notes that I took as I was lapping <laughs> my, my vehicle. And it's- uh, That's mine. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I nearby <laughs> yeah well I've, I keep one in the car and one by my desk and one of my one of my briefcase because I just like you said you just I mean if if an idea comes um you can't count on remembering it you know when you get home that night or or you know when you when you get a chance to pull over and, and write it down so I, I I use every means possible to collect the, the ideas as they come what about the idea of so I get the sense that like me, you probably don't have it and you you are rarely lacking for inspiration for things to write about or, or things that you're thinking about or ideas that um, maybe want to be born. But how do you decide which ideas you're going to give your full attention and unpack fully in something like a collection of poetry? It's all by feel. I, I don't really know how I do it. I just pay attention to those signals. but um. You know, it's not what people would think where often people say to me after something happens, oh, that's going to turn into a poem, isn't it, Colleen? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) I have no clue. So I just know when I'm hitting a nerve. Mm -hmm. I like to hit a nerve. I think about a doctor hitting the knee. And when you hit something that makes the knee jump, I like to go right to the nerve. And also whatever brings, you know, taps into emotion for me. I believe can tap into the emotion of other people and I have to like it. And what's happening now is that I've been writing poetry so long that I definitely fall into patterns of things I know I can do and how I like to write, but I don't like them anymore. So it's sort of like, you know, like Joni Mitchell changes the way she sings that song. You know, I really have to try something new and stick with it. And the other thing is when you feel like something's wrong, with something you're writing, it is. <laughs> Don't let it go. Yeah. I am just so, you know, I stick with it. I just don't give it up. I'm like a dog with a bone, you know, when, when I'm trying to write something. And there have been poems that I've quit because I was working too hard. And there have been poems that come really quick and easy. All different. Yeah, I call. On to a like a online poetry community where we share poems at least once a week and I read other people's poems and they read mine and poets are the best commenters on blogs, I think. And um, so that helps a lot. That gives me incentive. I always think about William Statford who told his students to write a poem a day. When they balked at that, didn't think they could possibly do it. He said, lower your standards. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I at least try to write one a week. Yeah. And like I said, if I haven't been, I just sit down and try to see what's inside me. Well, my friend and mentor Seth Godin talks about helping people find their good ideas. And the, the key to, get to to finding your good ideas is first putting out all of your bad ideas that, you know, that when you, if you write and you're waiting to release something that's going to be perfect and right, um, you're never going to publish anything. But if you write daily, eventually you'll get past all the bad writing that you, and, and the good writing um, will, will start. I love what you were saying about um, kind of having to let go sometimes. I, I call it pushing the river. When I feel like I'm working too hard or um, that I'm, I'm writing too much, I, I really try to, uh, because I'm a, a fairly verbose, wordy person in my writing, I try to practice being succinct uh, and clear. And, but when I find myself really struggling, uh, I call it pushing the river. And I know that it's time to, to, to get out and, you know, switch, switch, switch gears. But what's equally um, interesting to me is how often um, I, I can achieve a sense of flow. One of the things that I do every week is I, I promise that I will release uh, a blog post every Friday. And many, many times I don't have a blog post when I wake up on Friday morning, but I have to publish something by 1130. And lo and behold, by 1130, something always gets written. Do you have any any tricks or hacks like that 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 where you you know you put constraints on yourself to make to kind of boost your your creative uh, juices or your creative instincts? Yeah, I have this thing on my blog. It's Thirteen Thursday, and I've been doing them since two thousand five. And it ha it's a community of bloggers too. But you you list thirteen things, and it's the same feeling where. I have nothing some days. I have nothing to say. But once I start and the juices start flowing, you know, I think that my mouse hand like has a mind of its own and I might click around and look for things and and eventually I get it done. And, you know, usually I like them. Yeah, one thing I want to say about writing, too, is what happened to me that really propelled me forward was my brothers died a month apart in 2001. And I wrote my brother Jim's eulogy, and I feel like almost all my writing came to that point. What could be more important than writing a eulogy? And then the eulogy turned into a, I don't want to, maybe a short story. And then the short story turned into a book. And it was, it was coming from an altered space. It was coming from active grief. Mm. I was trying to hit a nerve. It was a combination of us growing up and then how they died and then what was it like to live with grief. But I put that out. I got that published locally. And by doing that, I really would say that when you put something out, the more you do it, the more it grows in you. I feel like that was a jumping off point, you know, as far as trusting myself and putting myself out more, like to do stories for the Floyd Press. It was a continuum of things that happened that gave me that ability and confidence. Really like that. So, what strikes me about that is when I speak with, well, as you know, I, I, I teach guitar and I have students young and old that um, are encouraged to perform in public. And that can be a pretty terrifying experience when it's the first time. And 
Uh, I speak to a lot of writers who um, are writing or have projects that they've written but are not yet quite ready to put them out in the world. Um, and I, what I try to convey to both the young musician scared to go out on stage and, and the, the writer uh, afraid to hit the, the print, the publish button on their blog or, or what have you is um, it's such a, it's an act of generosity. And I picked that up from what you were saying about writing your brother's eulogy is that it's, it's, it would be actually quite selfish to keep your, your song inside and not share it with others. It would be quite selfish to not share your story, your, you know, your, your narrative um, with others. And I think, you know, we're, we're, pre, we're programmed to be social creatures. This is, and storytelling is how we always communicate. And it's, uh, it's a real gift and an act of generosity. Uh, other strategies that you, you have for, or maybe not experience it, but you know, for somebody that wants to begin a practice or has been writing, but not yet shared their work, um, getting over the, the fear or the, the, the resistance of publishing their work. Well, you know, I did have to go through breaking through um, public speaking trauma, phobia, let's call it phobia. When I was writing poetry and we had an active spoken word night for almost seven years at the Cafe del Sol, I was just had terrible, terrible public speaking phobia and got over it. I still get nervous, but it's it's manageable by doing it, you know, and also by believing in what I was reading, believing in my work. And, and then, you know, whatever, I had a few tricks of wearing, uh, uh, reading glasses so I couldn't see people <laughs> out there. I don't know, I got over it, but, so a lot of it's about believing in your work. And you know, and if, and if you like it and it's emotional for you, usually it hits a nerve with someone else. That book about my brothers, the Jim and Dan stories, um, I just published it first for as a family book, and then I republished it again. You know, I think I sold about thousand copies, and then it went out of print. But for a time, it was used at at Radford University in a grief and loss class for counselors. Oh, wow. That broadened my horizons a lot mm -hmm. because they would all read the book, and then Alan Forrest would invite me in the class, and people would ask me questions, and I would talk about it, and so I like to pick things that I know are gonna, that are, line up with what I do, but also are gonna stretch me a little bit, but not too much. And to me, that's how you grow. You pick what you're already doing and what fits, and then you stretch yourself a little bit every time. Yeah, I love that. I, I was scared. So if I can do it, I think anybody can do it. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the fear is real and it comes from, you know, our prehistoric brain and there's not much we can do. Uh, I don't see us getting rid of our amygdala anytime soon. And um, as long as we're, you know, going to be um, procreating, we're also going to be in fight or flight mode. So, <laughs> um, but it's, it's interesting. I love talking about this and seeing what everybody's strategy for dealing with this because um, I think it it always comes down at some point to I mean there's some cases when the 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 stimulus goes to the 
fight or flight impulse and bypasses the frontal cortex altogether. And there's just no thought process going to happen. But at some point, you, you do have the chance to hold a situation away from yourself a little bit and contextualize what's really going on. And it's within that pause, as Viktor Frankl says, um, between stimulus and response, there is a pause. And within that pause lies your freedom and your growth. Um, that ability to you know, apply our, our capacity for reason and to interrupt whatever story we're telling ourselves that's keeping us scared and hiding and instead put us in a more uh, in a more generous place um, is is really important. I want to end with one last, you, you've brought it up twice now um, in different ways, but this idea of embracing tension, this idea of, of embracing uncomfortableness, um, it's something that you mentioned as part of, you know, your, your, process for selecting what you're going to write about. Um, but I also see it in this conversation that we're just having about fear. Like at some point we have to decide, um, is fear something that's gonna cause us to hide in a corner or is fear the compass pointing us in the very direction that we should be heading? And how are we going to renegotiate our relationship with fear so that it can become a dance partner instead of the bully that's making us hide in the corner? Um, unpack just a little bit more about, you know, basic handling the tension and the discord that comes up whenever we're engaged in an artistic process. Um, I belong to a women's dialogue group and what I've learned in that group, it's a, it's a hard, hard to explain how it works, but it's not advice giving, but it's sharing and uh, self-analysis and stuff like that. But there are times when I've learned over the years when I need to speak, and if I don't speak, I am just—I have discomfort, distress, mm. I would call it, you know, maybe shakiness. And to me now, I, I look at that as a sign. Oh, you need to speak. And and often it, almost always, I'm not just speaking for myself. You know, it's a piece of the whole. That if I withhold it, nothing can continue. I'm holding on to it. Yeah learn to know that and accept that and be brave enough to speak and this is a comfortable group you know every no one's everybody's there for the same thing so i've learned a lot with that with learning how to speak and i also would just say that the more you do it and break through it the easier it is but also the more it grows in you like mm -hmm. why would the universe have me be born with a poet's instinct but not be able to read at poetry readings. There's something wrong with that, you know? So that was worth working on. And it has applications in all other things now, just in speaking to people. Sure. I love it. I love it. So Colleen, as we're wrapping up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you one final question that I'm asking all of my guests this season. But before we do that, please remind our viewers where they can connect with you and your work online. Basically, my blog, which is looseleafnotes.com. But if you Google my name, it comes right up to Colleen Redmond. That's two ways to go about it. My blog has been going on since 2005, and I call it my writer's filing cabinet. And it does have a category on the side, so you could pick something like writer or where I live, which is all about Floyd. You know, you don't have to go through the whole thing. And then, like I said, packing a suitcase for the afterlife. 
that is um, on Amazon. There's a review there. Is that available in, in paperback and ebook? It's just paperback. Oh, fantastic. Here it is. Yay. Look at that. I love it. Well, I want to end with the last question now, which is what's one tip or piece of advice that you'd leave our listeners with that would help them fly higher and an endeavor enterprise that makes a difference? Well, I'll just, speaking for myself, what I've brought it down, distilled it down to for me, because I'm easily overwhelmed, and um, is that I think the best thing I can do for the world is to be myself. And I can handle that. And, and when I say that, it means speaking up when I shake and all of it, and be myself, keep my conscience clear, and respect the authority of my inner voice. And if I can do that, that seems like a pretty easy thing, but then yeah. I'm happy. I love it. Well, thanks so much. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Colleen and I really appreciate you lending us some of your valuable time and attention. And we hope today's broadcast motivates you to lean into an endeavor that matters with greater curiosity and courage. You can learn more about Colleen Redmond and her work at looseleafnotes.com or check out her book, Packing a Suitcase for the Afterlife at Amazon. And of course, it's always great to see you at becreativeonpurpose.com. Now, go out and make a difference and keep flying higher. Colleen Redmond, thank you so much for giving us some of your time and sharing your story thank with us today. So much, Scott.